Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey y'all, and welcome to Trials to Trials. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, wellness entrepreneur and angel investor, Hannah Fallis Bronfman, talks to me about harnessing our potential and dreaming without limits. Hannah is the definition of a multi-hyphenate. She's been a sculptor, a DJ, an entrepreneur, and an investor, just to name a few. Each new chapter of Hannah's career is a clear reminder that we were never meant to stay in boxes. Both my parents really instilled the idea that there weren't that many limitations around what I could do or what I could dream. There's no limit to your potential. It's almost like you can't really even put expectations on yourself because that almost limits you as well. And I think both of my parents really put that deep, deep, deep inside me. Hannah, welcome to the pod. I'm so excited. <laughs> I Okay, so here's the deal. We have not met in person, but I feel like we have because uh, I have been following you for so long. And one of my favorite things about you truly is how open you are and honest, but truly genuine. And so I feel like those of us who have been following you for a really long time have been along for your journey uh, with, you know, relationship, children, career, all of the things. And it's been really exciting to see you grow and um, blossom and all of the beautiful things that have happened in your life. And, and it's also been really refreshing to see that they didn't all come easy and you have not been shy about sharing that. And so I just want you to know, I am a huge fan, a big supporter of yours, and I'm really excited to get to know you better and share you with our listeners. Oh my God, Ashley, first of all, I'm <laughs> blushing. Thank you. That is such a sweet intro. And I really, really appreciate it. It's, it's been, you know, I, I have to say like, I didn't know I would be sharing my life on the internet when I first started sharing my life on the internet. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really appreciate you being along for my journey 
um, because it has definitely taken pivots. It's definitely gone down some interesting roads and routes. Um, and and again, like when I started out, I didn't I didn't have I, I didn't know my roadmap. I didn't have a mm. strategic plan. Um, and I think that's also what has led me to be able to be vulnerable. Okay, so before we get into it, get into it, I want to start with some icebreaker questions. Are you down? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Hannah, everybody knows this on the pod. I'm obsessed with like food and like drinks that people like, but you cook a lot and you share that with us. But I want to know what's one of your favorite things to eat? Like when you're, if you were to close your eyes and be like, okay, this is just one of the things that just makes me so happy whenever I eat it. What is it? Dim sum. Yes. Literally. Like (laughs) someone asked me the other day, which I thought was like a really fun, like question for dinner, like chat. Um, If you had a time machine or not really a time machine, if you had like a teleportation machine, (laughs) where would you go for your best day of food? And you could like, you could be somewhere else for breakfast than you are for lunch than you are for dinner. Right. Like you could be, you could, your, your breakfast, your ideal breakfast could be waking up in the South of France with a fresh baguette and like, you know, Mm. homemade salted butter with jam, whatever. Right. Yeah. That's a great question. Taken over to Hong Kong, baby. (laughs) And we are having the dim sum feast for lunch because I, I can be KO'd after that. (laughs) <laughs> but we will be revived for dinner when I'm going to, you know, I haven't figured out my dinner location yet. So oh, okay. Okay. I am kind of feeling like the Argentinian, like, mm. meat, like, mm-hmm. vibe, outdoor, like, barbecue, friend. Yes. I, I've apparently taken all my friends through this uh, teleportation <laughs> thing as well because all of my friends are there and we're having, like, a party on the beach. Mmm, I but love that. Dim sum is my number one. <laughs> dim sum is delicious. Now I've never had it in Hong Kong though, so now I'm like, oh, oh. Well, <laughs> you know there is an amazing place in LA that has. Um, it's called uh, Din Tai. Din Tai Fung. <laughs> yeah, we said it the same They're time. amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, it's I've great. been to the one in Hong Kong, and I have also been to the one in LA. It's amazing. I love that. Like, I couldn't even finish the question. You were like, I already know. You were like, I was like, I I'm with you. It's a soup dumpling. <laughs> it's a soup dumpling and it's, it's my favorite. Love a soup dumpling. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Okay, Hannah. So let's start at the beginning. What did New York give you? 
Oh my gosh, New York has given me everything. Mm. If there's like one thing I could feel like I'm in debt to, it's New York. Mm. You know, I feel like New York, growing up in the city, like my, you know, my mom always tells me like, I grew up in the Schomburg Center at the Studio Museum, you know, at MoMA. Like New York has given me so much culture. Um that, you know, I think New York gives you this sense of culture, this sense of belonging, this sense of street smarts. Um, you know, you got to have your wits about you in New York. You know, my mom would always like to say, like, you know, you're in New York City. You can't leave your common sense at home. Mm. That's like what she would say. You cannot leave your common sense at home. You need to... You know, if I wanted to go on the subway by myself, like there were several things I had to do in order to be able to do that. You know, that is a big step. But ultimately, you know, I've been like, like I ride the subway like seven times a day. You know, that's Mm -hmm. how I, that's how I commute. And there are some people who are like, oh, I would never go underground. And it's like, okay, like there are, you know, I think there is levels to New Yorkers. Like we get it. Mm -hmm. Um, But New York has just exposed me to um, every different type of person I think that there is in the world and um, has helped me feel so much compassion towards humanity, um, feel real resilience, what it really Mm. means to go through something and come back from it. You know, I was was in New York during 9-11. I was, I'll never forget where I was. I was in, I was in sixth grade and, um, you know, I had several friends whose parents passed away um, and it was the craziest day of our lives. And it ended up being the craziest months, you know, therefore after I had friends who lived downtown whose houses and homes were destroyed. Um, You know, so I think New York, um, New York has really, is really a part of my DNA and has helped shape who I am from so many different kind of angles and I can't even speak to all of them. It's so inherently who I am as a person. Um, and I feel so lucky for that because I, I, I can't say that, listen, no shade to LA, but <laughs> if you ask someone who's a born and raised LA person, what LA gave them, I don't think it's half as what New York gives to people. Mm, well, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I'm, well, I've been in LA for almost 14 years. So I'm like, I mean, at this point, I, I, I soon it'll be like, ha, I've been here longer than I've been in the DC area. Anyway, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But there is something for me and everybody knows this because whenever I go to New York, I'm like on my Instagram and I'm just talking about how alive it makes me feel. There's something about New York City that I've, I've traveled all over the world. It's something about New York that I feel like the best version of myself. I feel, I don't know. I feel free. I also just love honestly walking down the street and seeing so many different types of people. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my favorite parts about New York is in LA, you can, like, I could go a week, honestly, and like, maybe see not two see other anyone? black people in the way. No, yeah. I could not yeah. see anybody or I could see like right. two other people that look like me. Yeah. In New yeah. York, it's impossible to go an hour and not see somebody that looks like you. You know what I 100%. mean? And, and that is very, 
um, inspiring. It's inspiring. And I feel, and I feel seen, I feel seen. I feel represented. I feel like that's important. I think 100%. Talk to me about growing up biracial in New York. Did you always feel seen? Did you always feel understood? Um, okay. So no, never felt really mm. seen. Mm. Um, you know, for me growing up biracial had more to do with the communities that I was around and less about me being biracial. Like I think if I had grown up in an environment with predominantly um, mixed or black people, I would have totally felt seen, but mm. I grew up in a, in a predominantly white environment. So it was hard for me to feel seen. Um, my mom did a really great job of creating spaces for me that uh, she thought would help me feel seen. Now, in reality, being biracial and being in predominantly black spaces actually, um, actually was a little bit harder than I think my mom realized or had intended it to be. Because I think for my mom, when my mom grew up in in the South Side of Chicago um, in the 50s, and back then, she always talks about how, like, the idea of colorism, she almost was, like, shocked by it herself, like, kind of, and, and seeing They weren't how- doing the separation thing in the way that we do it now. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, I I grew up dancing for Alabanelli and um, you know, I had some I had people people who would say, you know, kind of nasty things to me. And then on the vice versa, like going to school in a predominantly white um environment, I I was I honestly like I've I had a um like my personality as a child was very um, kind of like leader forward um, and kind of like, you know, I know the way, follow me type of vibe, um, which I think my school had a little bit of a hard time dealing with. Mm. And so my school kind of, always was putting me in kind of like, not like a troublemaker vibe, but um, my parents, my white father and my, my white Jewish father and my black mother very much felt that they were ex- like exclusively picking me out from the rest of the school, mm-hmm. which my parents really did not appreciate. Um, and at the same time, I, that never really like ended up dimming my light. Like it just, I don't know. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Like my parents, my parents were very much like, this isn't your problem. This is their problem. If the teacher can't get a hold of their students because their students want to follow you, that's not a you problem. That's a their (laughs) problem. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, I'm good. I'm not in trouble or like, you know what I mean? Like. But it definitely felt like it was really hard to figure out a place to belong. Mm. It wasn't really until, like, after college that I really, like, made a lot of, like, friends who were Black or also biracial 
Um, and that's like weird. You know, mm. I think I, I know that there's a group of people who totally feel me and have experienced the same thing as me. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's also not, and that's like totally fine. But I think the most kind of difficult thing about being biracial is that you don't fit into people's standard boxes and society is always trying to put you in a box. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fit into that box, it gets complicated and people start to say things about why you don't fit into the box or about your, start assuming things about your identity. I, I have this conversation a lot with other biracial people, you know, we're pretty much the first generation of Mm. biracial kids right? Like when my parents got married, they weren't allowed to get married. They eloped against mm. the, like what their parents wanted. Um, and they had to go to New Orleans to get married. So, wow. you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a first generation mixed kid in my family, but also I find that across the board, that's, you know, my age and my, you know, that's kind of where we're at. And so yeah. as a first generation mixed kid, it's like, we're constantly on the defense you know, mm. we are constantly defending ourselves, defending our identity, our like right to be more than one thing, you know? And mm. I think that that, you know, that's a nuanced thing for a lot of people. Um, and then I like talk to European Black people who are like, well, why don't you just say you're mixed? And I'm like, because I live in America <laughs> and mm. we just say we're Black because mm-hmm. that's what it is here which is fine. You know what I mean? Like it's all good, but like it only becomes like this weird thing when people expect you to explain yourself. And I don't know why I constantly have to explain myself. I think when I talk to my mixed or biracial friends, what you've all have had to do is you have to tell people what it is unapologetically. Yeah. And and you there comes a point in your life where <clears throat> you've been put in enough boxes where you have to say, "Hey, I'm not in boxes. This is who I am. Either you bang with it or you don't." And yeah. also, I don't have to explain myself. Yeah. I'm Hannah. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like I'm Hannah. Right. And I'm diverse <laughs> within who yeah. I am, and that's beautiful. And I think for you another thing that I love about you is that you um I feel through you how connected you are to your, you know, black culture and your Jewish culture. And ultimately, Hannah, you should be, you know why? Because it's who you are. You don't have to choose. You know what I mean? It's your Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like, thank you even for saying that because it's like, it feels sometimes like, like, like I said, like you're constantly on the defense and it's like, that's like, that's a hard place. That's a hard place to operate from. Um, it doesn't feel good. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, when people are constantly trying to figure it out, like, oh, well, I'm confused. Like, uh, oh, oh, wait, you're, you're a Bronfman. I thought like, you know, who, whose daughter (laughs) are you? Or, oh, wait, you're, you look the way you look. Who's your mother? You know, like, Mm. you know, I mean, I can't imagine. I honestly, I honestly can't imagine people questioning (laughs) if somebody is my mother or my father, but I just want to like acknowledge you and like, that's wild, Hannah. That's tough. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a, that's a tough thing to experience. It is. Totally. It's definitely, listen, it's, um, I always like to say that my, like my mom always used to say like, my identity is my superpower. Mm. And like, she was like, that's why you will be in so many different rooms that, you know, I was never in or that your father was never in because you are a woman, you are Black, you are Jewish, you were exposed to, you know, your privilege, you were exposed to, you know, all sorts of different types of culture, business, education, like, you know, that makes for a pretty unstoppable situation. Yeah. So just own it. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. And guess what? She was right. Look at you now, girl. (laughs) I love her. Actually, I want to get into her. First of all, obsessed with your mom, obsessed, her fashions, her Mm -hmm. beauty, her love of her family. I've just, Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed. So I want to know what's something that, um, some wisdom maybe your mom has imparted upon you in your life that has always stuck with you and that you know that you'll pass down to your daughter too. Mm. I mean, she is such a wealth of knowledge. It's crazy. (laughs) And she always like has these like wild stories to tell. But I think if we're really talking about like something that she really instilled in me is we just, there's like, I, you always have to be the bigger person. You always have to take the high road. And she said, that's one of the harder things to do in life. She said, it's so easy to react. It's mm. way harder to not react or react in a way that is more unexpected for how we look like. Mm. You know, my mm. mom was very conscious of never looking like an angry Black woman. And she has really instilled that in me that, you know, it's the way I talk to people. It's the way I respond to people. It's how I act in moments of infuriation that will potentially define, be a defining character. And Mm. um, that's what I plan on passing down to my kids. Mm. That's good. What about your dad? What's something that your dad has given you that you are just so, 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 so grateful for? Something he's instilled in you? You know, I have to say my dad has always just instilled this idea that like, 
I don't need to make any excuses about who I am. I don't need Mm -hmm. to act like, you know, I'm not meant to be someplace. You know, I think my dad has always, you know, he's brought, he brought me into the mix, into the fold, like as like him as a business person when I was really, really young, like I would go to his office all the time. I think he really wanted his environment to see that, you know, he had a black daughter and that like, you know, he he would just, he, he always, he was always like, taking me with him, like whether it was a business trip, like, or like in his office or, um, to a meeting, like I was very well behaved as a kid. So I like, he could take me to a meeting and I would sit in a corner (laughs) and draw for an hour and like, that would be fine. And so he's always brought me into rooms that I otherwise would not have ever had like exposure to. Um, and I think he's always made me feel like I deserve a seat at the table. Mm, um, and that, and that has been like so formative for me as a businesswoman. And, um, you know, even, even now as I kind of embark on this, another kind of, uh, transition in my life in terms of my professional career, um, you know, it's something I, I haven't done before. And I remember I said to my dad, he goes, well, what scares you most about this next thing? I said, well, you know, I've never done it. And he goes, mm. but Hannah, everything you've done, you had never done before. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I guess that's true. He was like, so what, like, what makes this different? Right? Like, so he's always been really good about um, encouraging me to be, like my authentic self, know that I deserve to be in the rooms that I'm in. I have a seat at the table and to just own that. Mm, I, As you were saying this, I just was like, that's so good. Because I think, you know, especially when you live a life of entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. You're constantly having to create space for yourself and wanting to get into spaces that can continue to elevate your business, your businesses, yourself, whatever. And so to have known from a young age that you deserve a seat at the table, um, you know, things that might seem too big, you're like, no, I can do this. I, I deserve to be there. I think that that can ultimately propel you in a way that is really, really powerful. And I'm, I'm just really grateful that you had that from a young age. Me, I mean, I mean, honestly, me too. Like, it's just like, it's like, it's like he basically, both my parents really instilled the idea that there weren't that many limitations around what I could do or what I could dream. You know, my Mm. mom, my mom, um, my mom left Chicago when she was 18 to pursue, she actually wanted to be in the Alvin Ailey dance company. And um, she had a pen pal. She was going to come to New York. She was going to audition for the company. And when she got to New York and she auditioned, she didn't make the company. And I remember she was so, she told us she was so sad, crying hysterically. She was like, there's no way I'm getting back on a Greyhound bus and going back to Chicago and letting my family know who already, you know, her family already said, girl, you're not going to make it in New York. She was like, I am not going to prove them right. She was like, Mm. I... I am going to figure this out. Two weeks later, she auditioned to be in the first 
all-Black cast of, of Hello, Dolly! with Cab Calloway and Pearl Bailey. And she got the second lead. Mm. Yes, so she did. Like, Come you on, know, all of a sudden She's a, broad, a Broadway star all of a sudden with, you know, some of the most iconic Black actors of our, of our you know, our lifetime. Mm. Um, and so I think, again, like, making, like, understanding that there, there is no limit to your... Um, the word I want to use is potential. There's no limit mm. to your potential, right? Um, and it's almost like you can't really even put expectations on yourself because that almost limits you as well. And mm-hmm. I think both of my parents really, really put that, um, put that deep, deep, deep inside me. Mm, that's that's such a good story. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's, her whole life. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, write the book, write the where's book. Where's the like, book? Gotta, yes, I know. I know. I, we need that. It's coming. She'll do it. it if is, anybody's, for sure. yeah, I can totally see yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was introduced to Hannah the DJ, and I was like, this girl is so cool. She's just like DJing around the world. Like what? Like all your like pictures in the booth. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> and I now know you as Hannah, the 17 billion other things. I, what I want to know is when did you truly give yourself their permission to expand and, mm. and, and, and be all of the things that you really knew that you could be? That is such a great question. You know, when I, so I started DJing when I was at art school. So I was, I was a, a a sculpture major. So I was a fine art major. (laughs) I was, I was DJing for fun at my like little college and you know, it was something that I was able to like pull off when I got back to the city. Somehow I knocked on everyone's door. I had begged people to hire me in the clubs. And I DJed clubs for, I don't know, two and a half years while I finished school. And even for a year after I finished school, I was still DJing nightclubs. And um, when I realized that I, like someone had asked me to DJ like a, a, like a Dolce & Gabbana sponsored art party, much more elevated and chic than like, you know, my grungy nightclub that I was doing, right? So <laughs> I was like, oh, like this is like chic. They want to put me in a dress. Like, I mean, I wasn't getting paid, but mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this looks like, like this is this is cool. Like this is like where the cool people are. You know what I mean? Like, and I somehow just like, started making that transition slowly to like corporate DJ life. And when I made that transition, that's also when I wanted to start my first company, Beautified, mm. um, which, you know, now we're at like 2013. And when I started wanting to scratch this entrepreneurial itch that I was having, and I started to just like make moves to do it, 
that's when I really realized that I had a multifaceted thing going on. Like, yeah, I was going to be a DJ and that was going to be my way of like getting my income until I like got this startup off the ground. But then I'm also going to be like a beauty entrepreneur and I also DJ. Like I started realizing like pretty quickly, like I can do a lot of things. It's not Mm. a traditional path. No one showed me this path, but this is where like, you know, we had just experienced a crazy economic crash. Um, and my traditional background in PR and marketing at like big companies, like pe- people weren't hiring for that. So I needed to get creative. And, you know, at the time I was trying to like do all this stuff to create money so I could actually be an artist. Mm. And then that's A sculpture kind of artist? Like, yeah. Sculpture? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of like ended up not happening at all because, you know, life and the hustle and I started to like want different things. And mm-hmm. and it's funny, like now my husband's always like, we're going to build you a studio out East and you're going to get back into your art one day eventually, you know? And I'm like, I would so love to do that. But now it just feels like it, it almost like felt like in a way, like I didn't have the balls to like really be an artist. Hmm. And because it's hard. It is hard to be an artist. I um, it, I can't. It's inconceivable to me. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's really hard. And I feel like I, I didn't, I didn't have the balls. And, it, and maybe I also was, I didn't have the patience to be an artist mm. because I, I, you know, and I think that that is a reflection of the true consumer that I am. You know, I want satisfaction and I want it now. And mm-hmm. with DJing, I really got that, right? I got it. I could, I could feel it. I could be it. I could, you know, it was just like being in that moment of curating music for people to dance to and have a great vibe and, you know, be like, damn girl, you're killing it, whatever. Like it was such a, that was Mm. more fulfilling to me in that moment than me making something alone in my studio and hoping that I'd be able to show it to people eventually one day. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And that's kind of also what led me to like beautified and then just like, Yes, I think in in that moment of me kind of like DJing and then starting my first business on the side was like the first moment that really showed me like I can be whatever the hell I want to be and do whatever Mm. I want to do. I want to pivot a little bit to motherhood and and wife life. Um, First of all, obsessed with you and Brendan, just obsessed. I love it when you're like, Brendan dressed me today. And I'm like, this is because that's so my husband. Daryl is like, he's the fashion guy. Like, he's so into oh it. It's his favorite that. thing to do. Yeah. So I oh, very much so relate so to you like. get it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Daryl's the guy. He's he's the Brendan of the house. Yes. For, I love for it. sure. Um, but I I just want to. Um, now I'm going to get emotional. Thank you publicly, um, Hannah, for sharing your IVF journey. Because. Daryl and I pivoted to IVF and, um, you know, we are in the midst of our IVF journey, but what was most stark to me was I didn't see anybody who looked like me Mm. and it felt so alienating 
I, you know, I would be on TikTok all day, Instagram, you know, you know, looking, you know, the doctor would tell me I have to do this. And so I would look up a video of somebody doing it. And, and, and Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I didn't see anybody who was sharing it in a way that like you did. And, and I, I just have to thank you, Hannah. I, I don't even know if I can put into words how much it, it gave me you sharing all your, your complete journey in it. Um, because the thing about when you're embarking on something new is that you don't know what you're going to encounter. I didn't know what I was doing. You didn't know what you were doing, but you shared it. And, you know, eventually I'm going to share my story publicly too. And you really were the person that inspired me to do that because I realized, oh my God, Hannah really was how I got through this. I would go to a doctor's appointment and be like, what, what did Hannah do? What happened to Hannah? What happened with this? What happened with that? And so to know that I always had you to look to in, in a journey that's so personal and so, I think what I've learned about IVF is that it's the journey that ultimately, you know, hopefully will change your life in a way that nothing else can. And so because of that, there's a lot on it. There's a lot on wanting to bring children into the world in a way that is non-traditional. And so I just want to, I could go on and on and on, Hannah, but uh, I know you didn't know how much that did for me. And so I wanted to let you know that like, I wouldn't have gotten through it. I wouldn't still be able to get through it if it weren't for you. So thank you. Oh my God. Well, Ashley, I mean, honestly, I I, listen, I know how isolating it can be. I, 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 I feel you 1000%. And I think, you know, I have a kind of always been a person who I hate feeling guilty. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't want to feel any guilt in my life about my decisions or anything. And I was really broken before starting IVF. I mean, I, 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 I did all the tricks before IVF, right? With all the IUIs, all the Clomid, all all the things, and mm-hmm. nothing was working. I had had a miscarriage already, and I, I I was like, you know what? I I was feeling so um, like just down on myself. Like I, I didn't know if this was a, a me issue. I didn't know if it was because it wasn't a Brendan issue, you know. But then they weren't finding an issue with me, and and it just. There were unexplained infertility and, and the guilt that I was feeling and the the anxiety. And you know what? I was like, I just have to let it out Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm the type of person that if I have to, if I need, if I'm upset or I need to cry, I can't talk because my Mm. throat closes. I I, like, we always joke, like Hannah shoots it straight because I just don't know how to shoot it any other way. Right. Like, <laughs> like, and, and, and honestly, when it comes to my, my anger and my sadness, it's the same way. I, I, I cannot deal with it being pent up inside. I just have to get it out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Over the last like decade of sharing my life on the internet, that felt like the only thing I knew how to do was just to document and mm-hmm. that felt so comforting to me at the time. Ditto. And I didn't yeah. know when I was going to share it or how I was going to share it. But I just figured if I can document it, I'll figure that out. And if I can find the light at the end of this tunnel, then I can really turn this 
into something that I think will really help a lot of other people. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I didn't know if I was going to have a light at the end of the tunnel. And as we know, so yeah. many IVF warriors don't find their light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I think that's also something that, like, I'm hyper aware of when mm-hmm. sharing my experience. Like, there, you know, I, I am a lucky one. You yeah. know, I, I, I got my babies, but that doesn't happen for everyone. And yeah. I have dear friends that it doesn't happen to. And I also yeah. have friends who will never experience the amount of turbulence that it took to have a baby. And their sublime ignorance also can feel so mm-hmm. alienating. Yes. I have been on all sides of it. I, I'll never mm-hmm. forget. I had a girlfriend when I was like really, before I'd gone through IVF, but we had been trying, trying, trying. Mm-hmm. She called me to tell me she was pregnant. She was like seven weeks pregnant. And I was so stunned on the phone. I mm. I, I I hung up the phone on her and I pretended that I lost, <sighs> that the phone, like the, the phone call dropped. Out. Yeah. The, the call dropped. I literally, <laughs> and it took me like, an hour and a half to like mm. get my wits about me to even get back on the phone, congratulate her and be happy for her. Because I think that that's something that's so hard for people to understand. Like I was truly happy for her, but I was also so devastated and jealous and sad. Yeah. 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 It's. And when you're it's, hopped up on hormones, like it's just hormones. it's a different it's a different thing. Your your brain is working on on different cylinders than you're used to, and you are not necessarily acting or feeling like yourself. Yeah, and that's like a really hard. It's really hard. Yeah, but it's hard. Honestly, Hannah, seeing you share your story and seeing the support of your husband. And seeing the support that I have from my husband um, and and seeing your light at the end of the tunnel, I, honestly, it's, it's how I'm putting one foot in front of the other, Hannah. So I just want to say thank you. And again, you inspired me to do the same. So I'm going to pass it on. You know what yes. I mean? And I'm going to do the same thing because we need it. Like we're sitting here crying need, because you, I know, we know, we and, know. And, and you just, and you just, you just need to keep visualizing the beautiful outcome that yeah. I know is in store for you. Yes. You just got to keep visualizing it. And by the way, I had so many kind of, um, curveballs during IVF, mm-hmm. right? Things that like, that might feel like a setback, but actually they aren't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can't let, like, I think that that is something like the worry and the stress can really take over your body. And it's the most annoying part, I think, about the whole thing is people tell you not to stress and you're like, yeah, someone tells impossible. me not to stress one more time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally kill someone. Yeah. But, you know, your body does hold on to this stress and the stress is the opposite environment that you want to yes. cultivate in the body in order to receive your baby. Yes. And so it takes a lot of mental strength to really, you know, be annoyed, be stressed, and then honor it and then let it go. Yep. 1000%. Right? And and like, and that's really hard. So you have to have this defense force field that mm-hmm. when people start saying things, your force field says, nope, not today. 
Mm-hmm. And that just flicks right off, right? Yeah. But that's hard. You got to master that. That is something that that you really need to think about when you're showering. When I shower, when I was going through everything, when I would shower, I would think about the water coming down over me mm. and being this protective force field because every yes. day felt like a battle. Oh, gosh, that is the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. I And I, we can talk more about it, but I definitely want... It's something that I know just isn't available to a lot of black women, to a lot yeah. of women of color, um, due to, due to finances or just due to awareness. We don't yeah. know what our options are. And so it's something that I really want to be active in the fight yes. or misdiagnosed, but I want to be active in the support of women of color, especially black women, knowing that this is an option available to them and supporting them yeah. in that option. 100%. 100%. What has been your takeaway from our conversation today? I mean, one that I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> Ditto. Um, <laughs> and honestly, like just how important it is to have these safe space conversations with friends. I feel like sometimes I really can be moving a mile a minute and I don't give myself enough time to decompress and this was a really beautiful conversation that allowed us to go in a lot of different directions and allowed me to like feel a lot of different th- feels that I kind of bury most of the time. Um, so yeah, I just, I really appreciate you giving mm-hmm. me the space and the, and the, you know, the graciousness of, of just being vulnerable and willing to, yeah, talk about it all. Mm, thank you, Hannah. My takeaway is, to always remember to, to trust my instincts. And what I mean by that is that I was right about you. Like, I knew that we would click. I knew that, like, the, the source of inspiration that I felt from you online would be all the more prevalent in our conversation and that this would, you know, turn into a budding friendship. And I... I'm just really grateful for that knowing. I have these knowings about people. I have these knowings about orbits that I should be a part of um, and that I want people who I want in my orbit. And um, I'm just so grateful to know someone like you. And I'm so grateful to share you with my listeners because um, you're what this is all about. This whole conversation was all about trials to triumph. Thank you so much. You're going to make me cry again. I don't like, I literally <laughs> just got chills. Like what? <laughs> I mean it. So I'm so Thank excited you. for what's next, Hannah. And you have so many people that are rooting for you and believe in you and just think you're wonderful. So Thank just don't so forget much. that. Yeah. You know what, Ashley, you are really a gem. I like, I'm so glad that we got to do this. Thank you Me so too. much for giving. Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to, what I can't wait for is when I'm in New York and we're going to get dim sum. And oh, can't I, wait. What, can't wait. Can't wait. We'll be drinking all wait. the sake. Like, it's yes. going to be great. I'm very excited. Or maybe you so. won't be drinking, but either way, it's we'll going to be good. We'll see. We will we'll see, see, my friend. And I'm sprinkling all that fairy dust all over you. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We did it. Okay. We Yay. did it. Yay. 
Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. Our managing producer is Fatima Al-Swiffy. Shanice Tindall is our lead producer. Jordan Thompson is our marketing coordinator. This episode was mixed by Trin Lightburn. Michelle Baker is our video editor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one.